Hello and welcome to the Writer's Mindset Podcast with just me again, Ellie Betts. Christina Adams is still locked away in her dungeon, tasked with nothing but editing as she still can't speak and frankly doesn't deserve to be let out yet. Each week we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing goals. This episode we're talking to Laurie and Nola from Sticky Brand Lab about managing your side business. Laurie is founder and CEO of GB Brand Partners and co-founder of Sticky Brand Lab. She would describe herself as a multi-hyphenated, multifaceted individual as she believes each of us is, even if we don't always think of ourselves in that way. Just like you, the whole of who she is is made up of all her life, career and personal experiences. Gratefully, those experiences have guided her to where she is today. For more than a decade, she's been infusing her background as a therapist, dating coach and content entrepreneur into all her career interests and pursuits, including her current role as a podcaster. Now she shares her knowledge and experience with professional, multifaceted individuals to inspire, empower, support and help guide their career diversification so that they can create multiple streams of income through entrepreneurship. I invite you to get to know her by listening to Sticky Brand Lab podcast, which we'll add the link for in the show notes, and you can also find her on LinkedIn. Nola is president and podcast co-host with CEO Laurie of Sticky Brand Lab, where her love of entrepreneurship and her MBA combine to help people start their side businesses and diversify their income. For the last 15 years, she's also worked full-time with a non-profit humanitarian organization. She's traveled to 16 developing countries, primarily as a staff writer and grant administrator, with the lofty goal to alleviate worldwide poverty. Currently, she fills an operational role focused on strategy, development and change management. Throughout her career, Nola has almost always held a side business or two, such as developing websites, freelance copywriting and business consulting. The common thread here is that she enjoys helping people help people. Born in Alaska, Nola currently works and podcasts remotely, surrounded by trees in the deep rural south. A big thank you to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. We've got lots of exciting content on there and I hope you've been enjoying what we've got so far this year. As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content and our undying gratitude for supporting all the work that goes into creating these episodes to inspire and motivate you. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash writer's mindset. Don't forget, if you ever have any questions or topics to discuss, you can always hit us up in the Facebook group. Go to writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. We have weekly and monthly accountability threads. We have um, some threads where you can promote cool things you've been doing this week, where you can have a whinge about all the annoying things in the world and many other things in between. If any of that sounds good, don't forget writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. With Ellie and me today is Laurie Vader and Nola Boyer. I hope I said that right. <laughs> it was very close. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Welcome to the Writer's Mindset. I'm so excited to chat to you today. I'm excited to be so here. Excited to be here. Yeah. So for our listeners who haven't heard of you and your awesome podcast, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, we are co-hosts of a Sticky Brand Lab podcast ourselves, uh, which is a designed 
specifically targeting people who want or who have a full-time job, but want to diversify that, or as we like to say, have a multiplicity of interests and want to use that to launch their own business or businesses, their side businesses. Very nice. And uh, okay. I, I'm also <laughs> <laughs> the co-host of Sticky Brand Lab. And I uh, also have a day job on top of that, uh, like I think probably a lot of your listeners. And that is working with a, a international um, humanitarian relief and development agency. Been there for a long time, but I will say the first nine years was as a uh, senior staff writer going around um, different countries and gathering, I'm um, interviewing beneficiaries and the people who are working with them. And that's why I said that because of a segue that I want to take because I, your podcast really inspired me because a lot of those stories, I mean, I'm not in that department anymore. I've done other things, but I have, I have a box of notes. There are stories that never got told. There are fascinating characters that I met and I've always wondered what happened to them? And and I've fantasized about where they are now and how they may have overcome diversities. But anyway, your podcast has really inspired me to do something with those. So that's thank right. You. She started writing. That's fantastic. I'm so happy to hear that. I love that. Those kind of stories make it feel all worth it, right? Exactly. <laughs> the idea. So today we're going to look into setting up side businesses and manage them. Uh, why do you think so many people have side businesses on top of their day jobs? They're broke. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is a fair argument. I'm probably not wrong. <laughs> that was a motivation for my first several side businesses. But uh, for me, later on, it was because I just, I my day job what had me in a box and I just needed to express. I needed to, to do what what is I needed to express myself and take it in another avenue. I think a lot of people have a multiplicity of interests. They're multi-skilled. And just like Nola said, you're placed in a box when you're in a full-time day job and you need an outlet. But I think with COVID, it really opened up people to the idea that they had many interests. And when you're working from home, you're not using all the time that you did to travel to go to work. So it opened up avenues for them to express themselves. So I think the idea of having another job to as an outlet is a great uh, motivator. But other times it's, I want to have flexibility and freedom in my life. And in order to do that, I need to have multiple streams or diversify the way I think about income coming in. So uh, having a side business can allow you to create uh, avenues that give you passive income. So you're making money while you're sleeping or you're making money anytime. It's not dependent on you being actually there. And some people just want to take their skill set and share it with others. So that's where coaching comes in, counseling comes in, consulting comes in, that people want to help. And this gives them a way to do that. Yeah. I found when I relied on my books as my main source of income, I stopped enjoying it as much. And then as soon as my main source of income started being my freelancing, and then I was doing the books on the side, it was just more enjoyable. And it felt like the pressure was off. Like it felt more like going through the motions when I was relying on my books to pay the bills constantly. And because of COVID book sales are just nuts right now. There's no other way of putting it. 
And so it's not consistent and therefore I can't rely on it. But generally speaking, you can rely on clients a lot of the time if they're good clients, obviously. <laughs> That's great. I know that when I had when my day job was copywriting and then my side business was freelancing, I have to say that I was so burned out on writing, I did not want to <laughs> then pick up a pen or a computer or a keyboard and start writing. So being able to do that, do what you love and not have to rely on on it as a business. I get it. Yeah. And the thing is, what I like about client work is generally I do a few posts a week for a client and then I can chill in the morning or in the evening working on my books. And it's such a different mindset shift, you know, going from writing about mental health and HR to them writing about ghosts or celebrities. I'm literally in completely different worlds, but obviously books are quite a long-term undertaking and with the client work, you know, I get to tick them off at the end of each week. So I kind of get that dopamine fix where I feel like I've achieved something, even though the book is still in progress. So that really kind of helps me to stay motivated and feel like I've actually achieved something in the week. Because if you are just stuck in one world constantly, I personally find it really draining. Whereas having, like I say, the client work for different people and then two different book series going on and then podcast stuff, it kind of keeps me motivated and inspired a bit more than if I was just focusing purely on one thing all day every day which I did try last year and it ended very very badly that makes complete sense I think you tapped into something Christina really important which is when you work for an employer you're giving to the employer and when you are doing something that is for yourself there is an energy burst that comes with being satisfied. I have an outlet and I can direct that and share that. And it comes from me, but I'm sharing it with others and they're interested in it. And that's motivating because it says they want my knowledge. They want my stories. They want my creativity. And it feels like it's coming from in you. And I think when that happens, it opens up your world in a very huge way and you feel more energized rather than depleted. Oh yeah, definitely. When it feels more like it's a dictatorship, which a lot of jobs unfortunately do, that's when I think I don't think that's the only time it leads to burnout. I think that's when people feel worse and start to hate how they pay the bills and kind of resent it more, I guess. There's a structure that comes with working for an employer. And when you're the entrepreneur, when you're on that entrepreneurial journey, you're tapping into something within you that kind of combines your heart, your heart center, and your intellect. So, you know, if you're a creative type, there's the process of doing the work, but there's the love of doing it the creation that happens, the freedom to do it your way. And you're more defined when you work for somebody else. So the motivation, I think, comes internally when you're creating the business and it's externally when you're working for somebody else. Yeah, I agree. And I think that can be really powerful. It can be terrifying as well. Like when I first became self-employed, trying to like juggle my schedule and motivate myself to do stuff was really, really hard. And it probably took me, well, until about now, frankly, to be able to have enough of a schedule in place. And I've experimented with lots of different things to kind of get here. And it is, you know, it's a case of trial and error to find what works for you. Other than those kind of scheduling things I just mentioned, what would you say are the common pitfalls that people often fall into when they are balancing multiple responsibilities and potentially multiple sources of income or future sources of income? So when you have a day job, you can say all the time that I 
I'm not working. That's my time. And that's a time you have family and friends and pets. But when that's also your time for your side business, for your creative, your creative outlets, for, you know, any type of other hobby or outlet, that means your time with family and friends gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And your pitfall is totally squeezing out your, your personal life, your relationships. And so you really have to, you have to accept that you can't have the same amount of time, but it's advisable that when you that to really make sure to protect some time and to make that little time you do have to make the most of it, make it special, be very present. And if you don't, you'll find you're, you'll get resentful and you may give up on your extra time because you're not feeling fulfilled. And it's not necessarily the extra work that's not that, I mean, your work could be fulfilling, your side business could be fulfilling, but when you're lacking your relationships and your self-care, and self-care is part of that relationships, then it's going to bleed out and you're going to blame your side work and your and just protect that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's easy to lose sight of things sometimes and forget why you're doing something. Um, I don't know if you've read Start With Why um, by, I've forgotten his name, but um, that kind of mindset always stuck out to me. And I know a lot of um, my clients like that kind of mindset as well, because if you forget why you're doing something, then you often end up disheartened a lot of the time and then not wanting to do it or resenting it or giving up when it gets too challenging. You know, one of the things that we, we have a lot of guests that come on our show, um, we interview people who have started their own business, and then we interview people who help um, entrepreneurs find the shortcuts, the hacks, so that they're doing the things, that they're growing their business or launching their business in the right direction. But, but every guest that we've had on for an entrepreneurship will tell you that it took them a few years before they really saw the processes that they created in the business give them the flexibility that they need. When they saw the streams of income coming in, uh, the clients coming in, those things took time. So when you're first starting out, I think the challenges are the expectations. You think you're you build it, they will come, as you uh, uh, you know that's that saying. And that's not true. You build it and now you have to let people know about it. So one of the unrealistic expectations is how is time, how you think things will happen faster than they will, but they actually take longer than they uh, to, to build, to put into place. So that expectation, you think it'll be easier. And there are things that are easier to do, but it's not it's not simple. It's hard to start your business. So the, the expectations that come in are oftentimes where the frustration comes in. And you have to kind of get past, this is a learning curve. And my learning curve could take me six months. It's likely to take you a year to two years. And that is where people say the sweet spot comes. If you can get past that first challenging year and you get into the second year, you all of a sudden start to see the the benefits of what you've launched, but it takes a while. 
It's funny you should say that because the, kind of like roundabout now is my two-year anniversary of freelancing. <laughs> <laughs> you know and you kind day. of feel like, yeah, but you yeah. kind of feel like this is it. I got it. Yeah. And it it was kind of the end of last year where it started to feel like that and where I focused more on my freelancing and I met some really lovely clients. And yeah, it only occurred to me this morning, in fact, that it was my two-year anniversary this month. I don't know the exact date. But like two years ago, I could barely get out of bed. I was in so much pain. I couldn't think clearly. I was signed off sick from work and the doctor told me to rest, but not sleep. So I spent all day playing Stardew Valley downstairs on the sofa with Millie because I couldn't even play a game that had a story in because it drained me too much. I just needed something where I was going through the motions and feeling like I had achieved something. And this morning I did my 15th boxing workout on the Peloton. Like I'd never boxed before until two weeks ago. Wow. I'm just going to be like, it sounds really (laughs) lame. I was crying finishing that workout because I've never done anything like that before. I've never been able to throw a punch, not hyperbole, genuinely couldn't. I, you know, don't have any upper body strength. I don't have any body strength upper or lower, actually. I've got no core strength, nothing. And it didn't drain me as much as it would have done. Like when I did the first one, I had like aches in weird places like my armpits and like it was uncomfortable washing my hands because of moving my arms. It was so weird. But then I didn't feel that pain and I had more energy this morning when I was doing it. And it just the contrast between the two physically and mentally was the bizarrest thing because that's probably the most exercise I've done since I was at school 15 years ago. You know, I, I didn't really exercise once I stopped PE lessons. So yeah, that two-year mark does feel, I can relate Over to the it. hump. You got yeah. over the hump. Yeah, and you said something then about expectations as well. And that reminded me of an episode we did with Nicholas Eric uh, last summer. And he actually said something similar, which is that you need to just not have any expectations, but work towards stuff and be learning and be open to things because it tends to be expectations that let you down. The, the kind of the combination um, of uh, having a mindset, a fixed mindset that you, things have to go a certain way. You have to do things a certain way versus having an entrepreneurial mindset, which is that learning curve. It's going to take a, a time, but I can accomplish it. I'm open to it. I'm curious about it. I want to explore it. And celebrating those small wins, even though the goal is so far out of sight. Yeah. That makes a massive difference, I think. And Whenever I've like celebrated small wins with stuff, I've had some people think I'm nuts for doing it, but it's like, well, actually anything you achieve is an achievement and is worth celebrating because it gives you a more positive mindset and it makes you grateful for how far you've come and how far you've achieved, which is actually good for building resilience. It's good for warding off um, things like anxiety and depression. And why shouldn't you celebrate things that you've achieved? You know, even if that's planning your first book if it's publishing your first book if it's writing the first page it doesn't matter it's about reminding yourself that you are capable of doing it and the more you reward yourself for doing these things the more you'll realize how much you can actually do it's funny that you said um talking about this from the this being a two-year anniversary from from your health it's also my two-year anniversary i had cancer and uh, i went through all of that treatment as we launched 
as we were working on launching our podcast. So the podcast to launch it actually took longer because I was doing it. Nola stuck with me. um, So I could do it when I had those bouts of strength to do it, but um, celebrating every milestone, every, I achieved this, I'm past this, I'm healthy here. We took every opportunity. So we just celebrated the anniversary of being cancer-free. And it's at this two-year mark that I feel like my brain can actually think like the old me to um, to launch what Nola and I are now working on, which is another diversification of, of Sticky Brand Lab. But I could not have done that before. So total agreement with you. That's amazing. Congratulations on that anniversary. That must feel... Thank you. I don't even know what words to describe how that must feel. <laughs> I think probably similar to you when, you're, when you can achieve something health-wise and mentally and emotionally, you really realize where your priorities are So and how far you've come and you realize it's all a journey. And if you lean into it, it opens you up for far more to be grateful for, celebrate and appreciate, but also accomplish. Yeah. And you can always accomplish more than you think you can, but people just underestimate themselves way too much. I think. How important would you say ongoing learning actually is for someone, regardless of what their side business is? I think that's what helps you grow. I think, I think if you're not learning, you're stagnating and, you know, stagnation smells. (laughs) I think it's important. I mean, um, you know, Ellie just got her um, master's degree not too long ago. And even though it may not be where her business component is or directly there, the fact that it opens up that process of uh, it just keeps your brain alive. It keeps you open and curious and wondering about life in general. So I think learning is essential. It's almost to me like breathing. And you used a, a word there that I think is key: curiosity. Learn, keep curious, and it's the curiosity that that fuels the learning. If you're learning because you have to tick a box or you, you feel obligated to learn a certain thing to you know extend your career, those those might be all good. They may certainly be beneficial, but it's the curiosity that makes it fun. You can autopilot it if you don't have a reason why you're interested in doing it, or like you say, that curiosity. And something I found useful, um, I've been learning Spanish for the last year and doing it through Duolingo. And it got to the point where Duolingo was really pissing me off because it was just sending me notifications. Don't break your streak. Don't break your streak. I'm like, yeah, but you keep adding features and I'm getting really overwhelmed because you're not telling me what order to do these things and you're just throwing things in my face. And I think Duolingo is great but I'm going to switch to learning it through Wondrium instead because that's taught by a university professor who's got like a PhD in something to do with Spanish language. And he lays out very clearly what you should do in what order. And also he explains the psychology behind language learning. And that for me was the step that was missing. I need to understand why I've got to learn how to make these different sounds or why it's laid out in a different way to English or why I should be watching telenovelas as well as, um, you know, doing the exercises and listening and reading and all these things. And it just being laid out in that way really, really helped me. Not to say I haven't learned stuff from playing the games on Duolingo, 
But the fact that I felt like I was having to do the same type of exercise every day because I had like 200 day streak or something. And then I lost it when I got ill and then never recovered. After a while, it just became tedious instead of fun. And that defeats the point of gamification. So I also use Duolingo. I also was trying to study um, Spanish. <laughs> me I too. also had the same problem of this doesn't make sense to me and feeling yeah. all those things. So I definitely want to know more about, uh, and I'll get that afterwards, but I want to know that other science or Wondrium. way that you're learning. It's called Wondra? Wondrium. W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M. And we are actually an affiliate of Wondrium. Um, and we have, I think it's like a two-week free trial and a discount from it. And basically, it's like an online learning platform where you can geek out about pretty much anything in existence. I um, learned about ancient Egypt on there for my second fantasy book, Mummy's Curse. I um, started studying hieroglyphs, but kind of fell off the wagon on that one because I got sidetracked studying nutrition. So now like, I'm just constantly throwing facts about random vitamins and stuff at people and um yeah i started doing the spanish on there and the guy on there is such a good speaker like he's just so naturally confident and charismatic and yeah i'm just really enjoying the lesson so i'll definitely recommend that and i'll drop the link for any listeners who want to check out and i can share the link with you at the end as well if you want to have a look but it's got pretty much everything that you would ever want to learn on there from like drawing to spanish to historical documentaries, to celebrity documentaries. It's insane how much content's on there. I'm excited to check it out. Woo, that's that's very exciting. I'm going to check it out too. It's a good place for that ongoing learning. It does have business skills as well now that I've said that. What would you say then is the biggest challenge people face when specifically balancing a side business with their day job? So when I had a day job and I also had a side business, um, freelancing and marketing consulting, I... It was funny. I had I was working in this office complex that had like, you know, your um I was on this program where you could get virtual, it's like a virtual office where you could get mail. So this building decided to start that that business. So I would basically I could rent a conference room for like by the hour and I could pick up my mail on my way out the door. Well, anyway, I would have to my problem was customers wanted to talk to me during the daytime. Well, I I had a day job and it was difficult and it was in the writer's section. It was very quiet. I could not have a per personal private conversation. So I would schedule all my meetings during my lunch hour and I would either run out to the car or if it was an actual per in-person meeting or more of a video conference, I would rent the office upstairs. And so I was running upstairs, having these video conferences, and I'd run downstairs in time to get back to the office and, and maybe eat my lunch while I worked. And it was really crazy. And so, I mean, that is, to me, that was a challenge, at least in that type of business, because, and, you know, there are a lot of other businesses that don't have that where you have more flexibility as far as, you know, when you're actually generating that income. But for me, dealing with clients during the day, that was a challenge, but I worked around it. Yeah. I think that you have a creative idea, you're working for somebody else and you have to be able to step out to jot down your creative idea so you can come back to it at a time that's convenient. Right now, I'm a freelancer, so also content and marketing. And for me, because I'm a freelancer working for myself and doing Sticky Brand Lab podcast and writing scripts and the things that are focused, I am able to give time and spread out my client work with 
this, what we, what I'm passionate about, or I get excited about doing. So I have that flexibility, but other people don't. And it works out to what Nola said, which is balancing clients with your day job is one of the biggest challenges. Especially when you don't want them to know, well, really, I, I, I work in the back end of the office of, you know, down the hall in the dark in this cubicle, but really I'm a very high expert, <laughs> very expert <laughs> consultant that you should pay a lot of money to, to, uh, to, to hire. So <laughs> yeah, I had it's a difficult. When I was at my day job, I used to take meetings during my lunch break and then be eating at my desk. To be fair, I was always eating. I always had the munchies. It was a running joke. Um, but it did mean then that you don't feel like you get enough of a break. And yes, there's also eating at your desk isn't great for you mentally. It's nice to have that separate time and to eat a bit more mindfully rather than kind of autopiloting it because that can lead to bad habits, like constantly eating like I was at my old day job. And yeah, I think those breaks are really, really important. Yeah. You touched Christine on something that's really, really important when you're it often for people who are balancing working for someone else with launching their own business or or businesses, they feel like giving to their employer is taking their energy. Sometimes when you're creating stuff for yourself, you're highly energized. And so you get very focused. You kind of get in the flow. And that feeling means that you could be spending your evenings, your lunch breaks, your weekends doing something that energizes you, but you haven't taken a break between working your day job or your full-time job and launching or running your business. And so at some point you run into burnout because you haven't built in self-care and you haven't built in um, mindful exercises or good nutrition, the things that help you stay healthy. Yeah. And those things, while they sound trivial on the surface, they are the things that are going to keep you functioning mentally and physically for a lot, lot longer. They're going to, you know, prolong your health span. They're going to stave off a lot of chronic illnesses. And if you're not taking those steps now, it's only going to hit you more and more the older you get, you know, at the risk of sounding morbid. Um, I kind of realized when I hit 30 and I saw a lot of people with fibromyalgia saying it gets worse as you get older, it's destroyed my life. I just remember reading those comments thinking that won't be me. And I remember looking at my parents who each take like 10 plus tablets a day for various health issues. And I just thought that's not going to be me. I was determined to look after myself enough that it wouldn't happen because I look at my boyfriend's family in comparison and my boyfriend's granddad is 95 and still fixes fences and climbs on the roof to fix the felt roof and stuff. And my nan wasn't, didn't get out of a chair beyond the age of about 80 so there's a massive difference in how you look after yourself and what you do mentally and physically and what you can do further ahead because of what you've done now. Did that make sense or was I babbling? That made total sense uh, when I got cancer. Uh, I, had a, I looked that I had a choice. I could focus on my illness or I could focus on my wellness. And I made the decision to focus on my wellness. I had 
I had a medical team that was focused on my illness, but if I put myself in the best health and the best mindset that I could, then I was doing the best for me in working through um, what was happening. And it made me feel more empowered, like I had a choice where I felt like I didn't. So just like you, I want to live a very long, healthy, joyous life. And that journey through cancer and recognizing every step of the way, being present, not thinking about the past, not focusing on the future, but what did I need to do uh, right now? We have a mantra for Sticky Brand Lab, small steps, big effects, and kind of do 1%, a little 1% every day. So you do something that is more meaningful to you. Um, That's very powerful. I love that. I love that small step. So I know I want to print that out and put it on my wall just above me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the thing is, like, you can hear that, but you can forget it, I think, because I don't know if you've noticed this, Ellie, when you've been le- learning Mandarin. But when I was doing Spanish, I was like, I don't really know that much. And then I've been rewatching One Day at a Time, which has a Cuban family in it and watching some other things that are in Spanish. And it occurred to me then I understood more than I thought I did. And the same with when I started a new course, which goes right back to basics and is covering a lot of the stuff that I did in the early days of Duolingo. So, oh, yeah, I do remember this. I thought I remember this rule. And, oh, why haven't we learned this shit? Because I already know that. And it is reassuring when you then do something that makes you realize, yeah, I can do this. And those small steps have added up and kind of got me to the step of at least the top of at least the first staircase, you know? So, obviously, like you said, it's a lot about finding the time to balance what's going on. How can people either find more time or make more time in their current schedule to do that and to manage that side business? We all get the same 24 hours a day. So if anybody has a way of getting more hours, I want to know what that secret is. (laughs) But Noel and I talk about this a lot. There's two things that you have to kind of think about. One is the things that you do that you really waste time on, but it goes by so quickly, you don't even recognize it. So a good example is being on social media. I think I'm spending five minutes. And it whenever I have looked at the clock to monitor that, it has been a whole hell of a lot longer than that. <laughs> I've had to, I have to uninstall them after a while because I just end up losing hours and hours. I just think, what am I doing? I could be getting so much more out of this time. Uninstall, get rid of it, knuckle down kind of thing. Yeah. So when you look at where do I want to put my time, that is the good... If, Start with where am I giving away my time that I didn't even recognize that I was doing? And so then you carve out, okay, I'm going to replace that. The second is a habit. And in order to build in time to work and focus on your business, you have to schedule it. I believe you have to schedule it. If you schedule it, it makes it easier. And then you develop the processes that go into place. So you recognize I have time for friends. I have time for taking care of myself, whether that's exercise, meditation, anything of that nature, that you then, when you have a schedule, it makes it easier to rebalance or reprioritize yourself and also to set good boundaries and limits. So if you say, I'm giving 30 minutes a day, for example, to work on getting my side business going, and you schedule that time in, 
And then you say, okay, I gave 30 minutes. Now I'm going on and doing something else that's a reward for having managed my time so well. You'll feel like you're moving in the right direction. Okay. So I want to say Lori is the the time organization expert, and she's the one that sends me recipes that will help me to um, spend less time cooking so that I could spend more time, you know, uh, pursuing, you know, what we want to do. And it it has helped actually. So that's that's one thing. I've learned to have some recipes in my back pocket on, especially on days. And again, we have a habit, we have a routine. There are days where we just have committed to work on Sticky Brand Lab. And I know that whether I eat or not, or whether I eat at the same time, <laughs> we will be meeting at some such, a, such and such a time. And my husband is well aware of that. And so on those days, I have back pocket recipes to help um, compress that time. But at the same time, there is such thing, and this, this is especially on times where it's not necessarily, where I have a little bit more flexibility, and that is go with energy. There's this whole thing about you know following the energy of your body. Just because it's eight o'clock doesn't mean you're going to have the energy to you know to be able to to pursue what you're doing. And I'm fine. I find that when an idea hits me, and I actually have some flexibility in my in my schedule. I really don't have to go cook a breakfast. I really don't have to go mow the lawn right now. I I need to act on that impulse immediately. And when I do, what comes out of that stream of creativity is golden and would have taken me tons of struggle to get it out if it ever would get out. So, you know, at the same time, follow your energy and follow your creativity. There's another one. <laughs> It's okay. You're not limited. Just get as many as you I know. Like. <laughs> but the thing is, what I have another thing is counterintuitive, and that is take time out to just get quiet. Whether it's you know, people talk about twenty minute meditation. That's great if you don't have time. What I what I find I like to do, especially if it's a crazy day, is to just go outside. It's really quiet. I live in, a, in the country, so that's my go to place. Some people, I think, before I when I live in the city, it would be my closet. <laughs> But go to a quiet space and just stare at a stare at something. Just stare at the sky, stare at a blank wall, stare at your eyelids for three minutes. Just quiet down. And because when you stop the swirling in your head, you tend, you're more naturally able to then take the next step, which will happen to just naturally be the highest priority. You just know what to do next, 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 next. And you're not, you're not swirling in the thoughts and swirling in this activity in this to-do list. And so your time naturally becomes more spent more efficiently. It's funny you should say that actually, because yesterday I finished watching a film and then I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this other thing that my friends recommended. And I was like, oh, I've only got half an hour until I hit um, to do my meditation in Spanish for the day. Otherwise I won't, you know, keep the streak up. So I was like, I'll just do those first. And then once I'd done them, I was like, it's half 11 at night. Do I really want to put another film on or should I just go to bed and, you know, keep trying to fix my sleeping pattern and just taking those few seconds to break the kind of whirlwind, like you say, in my head made a massive difference. And I ended up reading, but that's more productive than watching a film, I think. What did I end up reading? I don't remember now. I uh, recently got um, an allotment and so I go up there and yes, there's a lot of digging to do and organizing and heavy work, 
but you can stand up there and it's on a hill and you can see out over Sheffield which is near where I live and you can just see for miles and I just stand there and I look at it sometimes and you just feel your head kind of clear don't you yes you can feel your brain just take that pause and go okay and then work through what you need to do I definitely do that and Christina like I had said that you know, you naturally take the right next step. If you were saying, okay, do I do this or do I fix my sleep pattern? You said your next step was reading. That's an activity that might be beneficial, but also aids in going to sleep. It doesn't keep you up. Like if you're editing, you're looking at a screen or you're watching a movie, that screen time can disrupt your sleep. The best next step was reading. Yeah, that's true. And also, you know, it takes less time. A film is an hour and a half, two hours, you know, reading a lot of books these days, the chapters are no more than 10 minutes. So you can read as much as you want. Or if you're me, you'll fall asleep with your Kindle in your lap, like I sometimes do, but because you can't, you know, look at the screen anymore because you're tired. But yeah, definitely helped me to switch off because it was such a busy week last week that I think my brain was struggling. Like even when I was watching the film, I, I was still like on my phone and stuff because my brain was like all over the place and then really pulling myself out of it with um you know a quick meditation and a little bit of spanish it did make me go okay yeah uh, i shouldn't really be watching another film now because i'm gonna be awake then until one o'clock in the morning and i think actually i did fall asleep a lot earlier than i normally would have last night and wake up earlier but that had nothing to do that wasn't <laughs> personal choice that was the dog <laughs> you were up Days before me today which is saying something was I? What time yeah, did you get up? Like nine. Oh, I was up at eight. Yesterday yeah. morning it was half seven because the dog came up and booped me on the nose because my boyfriend wouldn't get up because he usually gets up about half seven. And because um, he starts his new job in a couple of weeks, he's been having a lion. And uh, so the dog's been waking me up. You are lucky. <laughs> it's cute and forces me out of bed. But I usually end up playing Animal Crossing for the first hour before I actually function. <laughs> But I get more Millie hugs, so. So for someone then who is looking to set up a writing business, um, potentially on the side, as you say, how much time would you recommend they need to start setting aside per day or per per week just to get into that? Not necessarily as a permanent, um, this is how much you need per day forever, just to sort of start getting into it and getting used to it and maybe start building up that business. How much time? I think one way to think about that is when you're starting something new, as we've said before, you have to carve out the time, but carve out smaller times. I'm really focused or really big on what I would refer to as micro steps. So think about the small step that you can you can take. So if you're doing a writing, um, you might say, okay, there's working in the business and working on the business. So do I want to work in it where I'm writing something? um, I'm writing a book. Let's say it's a fiction or nonfiction. Do I want to work on actually writing the story or do I want to take that five minutes and work on it by focusing on the materials that I need, the research that I have to do, the marketing or strategy that I want to come up with. So you divide your time into something that is smaller, and that could be five minutes of direct writing or five minutes of doing research. So I'm kind of, well, I'm sitting at my computer, I'm researching this. Let me take my five minutes here and research for my writing what I'm working on, or I'm I've carved out my time on my lunch. That's my time for writing or editing or creating the outline or whatever the focus is. 
Love that. That's how I got through my first book when I had a day job. I would get home, have dinner with my boyfriend, and then my goal was to write a thousand words a day. That was it, because I knew I could do that in about half an hour, an hour. And I ended up in most days writing more than that. But breaking it down into something I knew I could do made it a lot easier and a lot less intimidating as well. And then what I tend to do with editing is I will aim to edit a chapter a day. And usually the first chapter I have to do um, gets me over that initial barrier of, oh, my God, I've got to edit a whole book. So then I end up doing two or three chapters, maybe five, sometimes even 10, particularly on the weekend. And sometimes those micro steps just help you to get over that feeling of overwhelm and having a gazillion and one things to do. If you just make that small step, that mini sized step, sometimes that's all you need to realize, yeah, you can do a lot more. And you look back and suddenly an hour's gone and you've got a load done and maybe you've earned some time off or you've got some time back for tomorrow because you're more productive today. I think we should stop saying micro steps now and I'll just refer to them as Millie steps. (laughs) The other thing I should point out is Millie does not like walking. She's an incredibly lazy dog, (laughs) which is another reason I say that she's part cat. So the fact that it's a Millie step is even more relevant because she doesn't want to do the thing that she has to do that's good for her house and she also has a complex about even leaving the sofa to go to the toilet so yeah she's a very lazy dog so millie steps is poignant on multiple levels ellie can attest to how lazy millie is (laughs) somehow that dog is lazier than i am (laughs) is frank is frankie more active than she is slightly he likes to have zoomies around the house uh jump up on things run around uh, ignore me when I shout him and as I keep shouting and then he'll run to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah Millie just beats people with that hot dog toy that you got huh best decision ever <laughs> back on topic of businessy things then how can people tell if they've taken on too many commitments and need to cut back before they hit that big scary word that is thrown about a lot and I think people misinterpret sometimes burnout Oh yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with that one. <laughs> oh yeah. And I think yeah, and I think that some of the signs are definitely trouble sleeping. Even when you try to make time for sleeping and you find yourself waking up many times during the day or um having trouble falling asleep and either way, you know, when you wake up your mind is swirling or your heart is racing or even if it's none of that, it's in the back of your mind. Also if you realize that your eating has changed. Um, Some people will eat too much. Some people will just forget about eating, Um, but that's a sign. Sometimes I try to deny that the, um, the, the, the one pound bag of chocolate chips in my desk drawer is, is a self-care thing, but um, (laughs) sometimes I have to face reality. And another big thing is, is really your mood. I mean, if you're a bitch, 50% of the time normally, that's cool. But if you're a bitch 75% of the time and people around you are starting to be bitchy back at you, sometimes that's the wake up call, you know, or use, or they're just starting to avoid you or, you know, you, you just, you just know, this is not me, you know, and it could be that you, whether either you're bitchy or you're just moody, or you're just a big one is, Okay, switch. A big one is fatigue. You're just, you are just fatigued. So you don't have the energy to throw into your sparkly personality. You're just, 
just the thought of, you know, washing the car is just, it's going to take too much energy. The thought of, of, I don't know, take going, just going across the room and, and, you know, taking a pizza out of the freezer is too much energy. The thought of talking to anybody, at least for me as an introvert, I, I don't. I don't want to make a phone call to order the pizza because that would require the energy of talking to somebody. That's a big sign when you just lack energy. So, yeah, big signs of burnout. We did a whole episode, our episode thirty-four, with um, Carrie Brzezeski, Right, that's I believe how you say her name, Nola. Uh, all on burnout. She is a burnout expert and came to talk about recognizing not only the signs but steps that you could take to reduce the effects of burnout. Um, A lot lot more common than people realize. And because it looks like other health issues, people often associate, they they miss that they're on burnout and think that it's a physical um, illness when it's really something much more. Yeah, I think that's the problem. The term burnout is used a lot but without any real understanding of what the definition is and how it can affect you and how you can't go from burnt out to 100% again like that. Like it can take months to recover. It can take years to recover. You know, it took me months to recover from the stuff that happened to me over the summer. And I'm still wondering if I am fully over it some days. And it is hard. And I've known some of my friends take years to recover from being burnt out over something. And no one likes to admit that. Because I think particularly if you're the kind of person who's always striving, always trying to work towards the next thing, you feel like a failure if you can no longer work as fast as you used to be able to. And so it's a mindset shift to try and prevent the same thing from happening again and to build yourself up more resilient and stronger mentally and physically so that you know, you don't end up going backwards or it doesn't completely destroy you because it can sometimes. Yeah. Some people think, oh, I really need a vacation. They probably really do. But sometimes the vacation can just add to that burnout or it's just like you said, it's not long enough. Um, I was going through a period of burnout when um, I decided to take my husband on his first um, cruise. And the thing is, he was loving it. And he was all, you know, he was just absolutely loving it. Me, I just wanted to sleep. You know, he's like, you're, you're missing this beautiful, gorgeous sunrise on the water. And normally I would have just loved to, to do that, to sit and watch the sunrise, but I was so burned out. I'm just, let me sleep. Please let me sleep. Just let me sleep. Come on, let's go get breakfast. You go ahead. I'm just going to sleep. <laughs> poor guy. I need to, I need, I need to make it up to him. <laughs> I'm sure he understands though. Like everyone's had those moments, I think. And there is a difference between having those moments where it's been a rough week. I just need to sleep. And those times when it becomes so prolonged that it is exhausting and you can't function anymore. And I think something that's worth pointing out is that there's a difference between tiredness and fatigue as well. And a lot of people do use those words interchangeably. I use those words interchangeably, which is really bad for someone with chronic fatigue syndrome. <laughs> but you do because, and it takes a while to learn the difference. But I can tell the difference between when I'm sleep deprived and when I just need to rest but not sleep, as the doctor put it to me two years ago, which is still one of the most annoying phrases I've ever heard, but also a very true phrase as well. You know, that's profound, actually. 
it's it's so hard though because when you're that kind of person your brain is constantly going like this and it's just spinning and spinning faster and faster and spiraling out of control rest but not sleep is the single hardest thing you could possibly do because certainly in the uk um when you hear the word rest people think that means you need to sleep that's what the association is and rest is so much more than sleep i read something once where rest isn't sleep it is doing something that breaks the routine to help you just kind of chill like for me actually when I'm writing like first draft kind of writing I am resting in a way because that's the fun easy part you know or when I'm doing my Spanish that's a rest it's a change of pace from the rest of the day when I'm writing about mental health and HR topics that can get very deep and very serious and sometimes be a little bit emotionally challenging you know and it's not that I don't enjoy them but it's nice sometimes to break it up and read a short story in Spanish about this family who've just moved to a new town. That's so that's as far as I've gotten the activity so far. But, you know, that change of pace can really help your brain to recharge and see things differently and sometimes even help you problem solve. I just read an article. It's funny that you should say that that talked about when we have those creative bursts, like why do they happen when we're sleeping or when we're coming out of a meditation or when we're in the shower? And the antidote was because you're doing something mindlessly. You're just in that kind of state. So when you're in that rest state, it actually opens up the channels for creativity and for inspiration to come in or the solution to your problem because you're resting your brain. You're you're doing something mindless like the dishes or showering or making the bed. So I think that is really the a good example of the difference between sleeping and resting. Resting opens channels. It allows for something to come in, whereas sleeping obviously is restful for the body. That's a, a total different aspect. It's funny you should say that. I came up with a poem in the shower this morning and I was like repeating the first stanza to myself over and over. Do not forget. Do not forget. This is really good. Do not forget. This is really good. And then saying the <laughs> four lines over to myself and I didn't forget it. And it turned into one of the longest poems I've ever written. So that's amazing. Thank you. It's um. I it started off as something that could be from my perspective or from my characters' perspectives, and I decided to do it from the perspective of my characters in the Hollywood gossip books because each chapter um, in that series starts with um, part of one of their songs, and it works as the kind of poem that sums up the journey these two characters have been on to get there. So no one's going to read it probably until the end of this year at the earliest, but I'm really pleased I came up with something this morning. <laughs> Well, I now want to read that book as well. Can you hurry the process? No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. Uh, Okay. So what skills do you think people really need to be able to balance more than one role successfully? First, I think is managing your expectations. Again, things will always take longer to do than you think they will. They will likely be harder to start or implement because there's a learning curve. So things will take longer and be harder in the beginning. If you know that going in, then you can grant yourself grace. So you're going to need some processes. Processes really help. There are free apps out there, for example, that can help you track time. So if you think if you lose track of time focusing on something and you want to get in, uh, develop a habit and you want to set yourself in a schedule so that you can uh, realistically 
accomplish small things or micro steps at a time, then you're going to need some processes in place to help you do that. And I think not spending time finding out what those solutions are that can aid you is the first challenge. The second is there is so much free out there. And you think that you have to buy something in order to find the solution or the process that you're going to need or the application and really do some research that allows you to test things out that are free because you'll find that some things you don't need and other things you need something specific for your goals to achieve them. So you need to have some of those apps that are in there uh, that you can do. Also, break down the bigger steps into smaller steps because you'll feel like you'll look when you look back like you've accomplished it whereas some things you can do that are really easy and fun so save those there's kind of like two processes i think mindsets for doing this either do the thing that you love doing in the beginning so that you get the enjoyment to get into the stuff that's harder or if you're like me And this is one of my idiosyncrasies. When I'm eating, I always save my favorite thing for the last bite. So it's kind of like I go away with my favorite on my tongue. That would be my reward. So this is the same thing. Get the thing out of the way that you don't like doing so that when you finish, you finish with the thing that you do like to do. That's so clever. I love that idea. It comes from eating my mindset of my favorite last bite right before dessert, which is my other favorite last bite. So actually, when you edit, you might want to switch because that was really profound. And now it's like a second pressure. I know, no pressure. So Lori and I, we have different brains. So it's we joke about it. She's a web thinker. She goes in many directions at the same time. And I'm more linear. Yes, strategic. Yes, but I but I organize things in my brain in a more linear fashion. And so for me, when I have a when I'm on my day job, I'm usually working on a project, I have a deadline, I'm having to think things, I really use my brain, think things through. And sometimes when I just because it's five o'clock does not mean my brain has turned off. Yet at six o'clock, I need to start turning on sticky brand lab brain. And in between, I've I'm, you know, I've got family stuff, I've got home stuff, I've got plumbers and and landscape landscapers and and things like that. And I have a hard time flipping the switch or switching hats. And for me, I also have a hard time, or I have had to learn one of the skills um, to building is my way of approaching the tasks isn't necessarily say micro steps help, my milli steps do help for perhaps lessening the overwhelm. It, you know, it turned it makes me not see the mountain and I can see the pebble that I can step over. However, for me, I I need to give myself more than the 30 minutes or the 15 minutes. I work best in batches. I I describe my thought process as like a locomotive. And so once it gets that momentum going, it's it's hard to get it to come to a screeching, you know, spark flying stop in order to switch tracks and then go down another track. So knowing that about myself, I might spend, dedicate, let's say I have a weekend, like when I was freelancing, it was mostly weekends. Let's say I would spend the one day on just the writing of the, of the work. 
And the next day would be, you know, as Lori had explained, one's doing the business on the business and for the business. The next day would be for the business. Some people and 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 for me, so for me, the skill of switching hats or you know, switching gears or arranging the time around the way I think and approach it is best. Now with Lori, that would just make her go mind-numbingly crazy to think to spend an entire freaking day on one damn thing, which is, is just unheard of. And she's, you know, got to spend an hour here, an hour there, an hour there. And she looks back and she's done it all with me. I'm like, stop, stay still. <laughs> but it's really a organizing just recognizing how you approach those, how you think, and, you know, intentionally designing your work around that. Also, when you do plan your time and you know you're going to be slow at something at first because you're learning it, you know, all of the Google searches might tell you it only takes 10 minutes to do this. Give yourself 30. Give yourself 30 for the first three to six months and then it'll, you'll get faster. That's excellent. Those were both very profound. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we won't change the order at all. We don't need to. <laughs> we have one final and potentially most important question, which is, I'll, I'll start with yourself, Nola. What is one book that changed your life? I'm sure I'm not the only one to say, one book, just one? Are you freaking we, kidding? Yeah, we get that a lot. So, you know, <laughs> Nearly every <I>, time. <laughs> Lori even said, what did what did you choose? I'm like, oh no, I'm just going to let you guys decide which one I should choose. And yeah, so <laughs> that's cheating. <laughs> that's what she said. So what, so out of all the one I decided to pick out was the one I have actually the, out of the, out of the, out of the pile. I've read many of them several times, but this one I probably read the most and it's a uh, Stephen King's book called on writing. And, you know, there've been t- times where I thought the dream of really going for it for real was just a past. It was just a fantasy. It was just like, you know, and, and reading his book is really, you know, it's, it's his bio autobiography combined with his lessons on writing and publishing and all that. So it was, I love reading an origin story. I love reading rags to riches origin stories. And this one was a biography. I love the, um, the reminders that rejection is part of the process, not take it. In fact, he would, he would pin all his rejection letters until he had wallpapered his rejection letters. And to him, it was just, Hey, one more, one more down, one more down. It was almost like a celebration, which is a really great mindset thing as far as I'm concerned. And also the persistence and something that it was a lesson that, that I think I needed to hear was sometimes that when I'm writing something, it's just not coming out right. I just really struggle with it. It's just, um, it's not coming out right. And it's like, okay, maybe this wasn't part of me. This, maybe this wasn't something that I was meant to write in the first place. You know, perhaps I should just scratch it, scrap it, consider it was a bad idea. And that's what he had done and put it in the garbage. And he's just like, this was, this is too much of a struggle. Most things come out as a, as a stream of consciousness, or they're just so natural. And he put it in the garbage and it was his wife that pulled his, his work out of the garbage. And that was you know, the thing that made him famous, Carrie, which became a movie and, you know, got his, um, but his, and his lesson was 
sometimes the hardest ones are the best ones. So it's just lessons that I needed to hear. And, some, and a lot of these apply to life as well. And so to me, so to me, it's almost like a good, it's like a good fiction book because of the storytelling aspect and good reminders of, okay, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. When you were telling the story about his wife found it, I was like, I remember this. And it's such a good moment. And I love the way that Stephen King summarizes it and really turns it into a lesson. That's brilliant. It's a very good choice. Although you're going to have to send me a picture of the rest of the pile because now I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, there's a story behind each one of them too. <laughs> what would your pick be then, Laurie? So I want to qualify my pick here because um, ever since college, books have appeared for me when I have struggled uh, with something and the solution has been in writing. And I often will yell into the universe, can't somebody just tell me, do I have to read it? And the reading will, it could be, it could be nonfiction or fiction. Sometimes it's the line. I don't know if you've ever had this, you get to the part in a book, you read the line that resonates the strongest with you and you have no more desire to finish the book. It's like, I got it. I'm done. And you move on. So two years ago, when I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, during that process, you do a lot of introspection naturally when you have a chronic, um, mine was acute at that moment because I was dealing with it. But when you have something very big in your life happen, you do a lot of introspection. And I was doing a lot of introspection and I had never read this author before, um, but I picked up the book. The title is The Power of Vulnerability. It's uh, Brene Brown. It had a humongous impact on me in the fact that it looked at vulnerability. But the main message for me, that one of the big takeaways was when you tell your story, you own your story. And up to that point, the outside world, your family of origin, people are telling you your story and you adopt that. And so being vulnerable is about opening to your own story and being in charge of it. And that was really profound for me at a time when emotionally, physically, mentally going through um, cancer and cancer treatment was happening. So I was feeling vulnerable, but it took me down a different road. And that road opened me up to thinking about how I was going to move forward. So it's something that has stayed with me um, and is very powerful right now and potentially could have launched my idea and drive to actually write my own book, which is different than the writing that I do on behalf of clients or the writing that I do on behalf of Sticky Brand Lab. I have to admit, I haven't read any of her stuff, but I'm aware of like who she is and what she does. And I've read some quotes from her and I keep thinking, yeah, I need to read her books. I need to watch a Netflix special. And then I think, because when I usually watch stuff, it tends to be to just switch off. I haven't yet. And I do keep thinking I should push it on my list because it seems like one of those things there's a lot to learn from like her books and her content and stuff, because I guess you're going to take away from it whatever you need to hear in that moment. But she certainly is probably one of the bravest people out there, I think. And that you know, that's kind of what she teaches at the end of the day, isn't it? It's totally, a, a, I think, about stepping into and uh, uh, your own power and really re realizing that no matter where you came from or what you're going through, it's owning your space in it and not letting others tell you 
what to think, what to feel. In the examination, I was realizing how much I had held on to that I took into my present life that I needed to let go of. And that's why the introspection was so important at that time. And the power of vulnerability is pretty profound. It's an emotional and mental way of thinking that then impacts your overall, I think, health. And a lot of what we've talked about, when you don't recognize how what burnout feels like, because you don't, you are having some physical symptoms that you can attribute to an illness without recognizing how much you're carrying around. And I like to think of it just as opening your suitcase and unpacking it. I like that analogy. I think that sums up this episode really well, don't you, Ellie? I think it does. You two both dropping such profound, lovely statements today. We couldn't ask for more. You're so kind. (laughs) You make it easy and fun. Oh, well, that's sweet. (laughs) One more thing then. Where can our lovely listeners go to find out more about the both of you? Stickybrandlab.com. That was profound, right? That was was the best (laughs) line of the show. We're going to use that to sell the episode. Well, once you land there, you can hear the, you can look at the podcast, you can look at our services, you can do a lot of things once you're on our website. We also have a lot of freebies. So if people want checklists and, you know, tips and stuff, we've got a lot of freebie downloads there. Awesome. Thank you. This has been such a great episode. I've just realized there's a dog bed behind me the entire time I've been recording. Anyway, (laughs) thank you for joining us. This has been amazing. And I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Oh, we've loved being here. Thank you for allowing us to be your guests. Been fun. If you enjoy The Writer's Mindset, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice, or a thumbs up if you're joining us on YouTube. It really helps other writers find us so we can help them to achieve their wildest writing dreams too. And don't forget, If you'd like early access to episodes and bonus content, such as the things I learned finishing uh, my first draft or how to write the perfect opening for your story, come and join us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. We've got big things planned, but we can only do them with your support. Every little bit helps us to help you more, whether it's a rating, a review or becoming a patron. And I might even consider letting Christina out of her dungeon for next week's episode. But honestly, I'm having fun just keeping her down there. She's getting lots of editing done. In the meantime, keep writing and I'll see you next time.